Imagine being diagnosed with stage four endometriosis and blocked fallopian tubes just three weeks before your wedding. This is exactly what happened to Katrin, who wanted to have kids from a very early age. In this episode, she shares how her world was flipped on its head in the space of a day, how she shared her diagnosis at work, and how they supported her, and everything that she's learned on this journey. Katrin is now a mom to two-and-a-half-year-old James, who was conceived through IVF. I'm Alice Dadler-Stewart, and this is Infertility and Us. Good morning, Katrin. Welcome. Good morning, Ella. Good to be here. It's very good to have you, and I am so looking forward to hearing your story this morning, and I have a feeling that I and everyone else listening has a lot to learn from you. So I'm actually going to start with a bit of a different question, and that is, can you tell me a little bit more about when you were growing up, what you thought back then, even at an early age, about having kids? Was that even on your radar? Definitely. So I grew up in a family with a sister, so we were two kids. and. I think for me, I always wanted to have kids from a very young age. I've always loved babies. You know, when I was small, I had my little doll, pretended to do family play. It was just something I really, yeah, grew up wanting. And I think for me, the ideal thing of a family was, you know, you had your mom, your dad, and your two kids. Although in our family, my mother had difficulties with some pregnancies. So I think also was aware from a fairly early age on that things might not always go as planned. We didn't talk about it too broadly, but it was something that was, I was aware of, but I think I hadn't really considered for myself. So for me, it was, yeah, as I said, having these two kids was part of having a family. Wow. And interesting that you say already at a younger age, you were aware that it might not necessarily be easy. However, making that connection between your mother maybe having struggles and you, I mean, that's a different bridge to cross. Do you remember how old you were when you were made aware of this? I think it was probably early teenage years. So it wasn't too early, but again, it was just, it was something that you know, we were made aware of. Yeah, it was mostly a side note to a conversation rather than something that had to be talked about in much bigger detail, which I think is actually unfortunate given how many people are struggling with that journey, no matter at what time, if it's at the start of the conceiving stage, during pregnancy or even during birth, right? I tried to be very open about my journey. And so I had a lot of conversations about this with many different women, but also men, you know, also husbands, obviously. But I still have to meet, I think, a handful of people where everything just went well from start to finish. Everybody has some problem, some struggle at some point in that journey. Yet we don't often talk about it. And I think it, it's something we need to change and being open about it, I think helps in so many ways. It helps yourself. It helps other people. Also why I'm here today. 
I was about to say, that's why you're here, right? And helping to do that for others that maybe didn't have that for themselves. Wow. I just wanted to share actually how I grew up now. So I grew up in a family of four kids. In fact, my mother was a doctor and she was a career woman. And she told me, I think in my twenties, that she never wanted kids. She wanted to focus on her career. And back then to make a career as a woman was even more difficult than today. And so I absolutely understood. And yet she's the most mum of mums. She's a wonderful, wonderful mother. So I couldn't believe it when she said this to me. I'm like, mum, how could you not? And yet obviously that changed. And she has four kids and I'm the second. And so I grew up thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to have four kids too. Yeah, sure. By the time I'm 26, going to start, certainly going to be married. And with time that moved to 28, 28 became the golden age that I would start. Um, and as I got older and actually closer to that age and also married by then, I was like, you know what? I think two might be nice. <laughs> so my own expectations and also the reality of life, I think, showed me that, no, that doesn't have to be the case for me. I don't need to have four children. But it's interesting how we grew up and see these things differently. For me, infertility was not a topic at all until it became my own reality. Yeah. It is interesting though, right? What you mentioned about, you know, yes, I've been made aware about it at an earlier stage. And so I work in the pharmaceutical industry and I've actually worked back in consulting on a drug for endometriosis. And it was around, you know, I kind of read up on that indication and what's happening with these patients who have endometriosis. And one of the things was like, okay, they've got very painful and infertility. And, you know, even back then I was like, oh, okay, it's not that bad until you go through it yourself. And suddenly this topic becomes completely different once it's really about you and your own potential family. And I think that was just something that I found quite interesting in my own process of going through it of, I think, what I thought it meant versus then what it actually means to you emotionally, physically going through it. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity to now move closer to the present moment. And when you and your partner decided to have children, can you tell us a bit more about that moment and what happened next? Yeah, definitely. Look, we had a very interesting journey. So me and my husband, we met, got almost over 10 years ago now. <laughs> Feels like a long time. And at some point, I think we just had that whole talk about kids. And I was like, I want to have kids. I want to have two kids. He also, he has a brother. But for him, he wasn't that sure about it, actually. He was like, I'm not sure I want kids for different reasons. And I think for him, it was also about being able to provide for them, having financial stability, et cetera, which I completely agree. I think is, is very important in that decision-making journey. And, you know, there was even a brief moment where I think we were having second guesses around our relationship because I really wanted them. But I think luckily we went through a phase of having a lot of other friends in our circle that had kids and 
he saw me with them. I saw him engaging with them. And I think at some point he was like, if I have kids, I have them with you and nobody else. And I think it was, you know, when he said that to me, it was such a beautiful moment because it really showed the trust as well in our relationship. So I think it was, that was kind of the trigger point. We got engaged and then we're planning our wedding. And actually just a couple of months before our wedding, I had a lot of pain and like almost fainting in a workshop that I was in with my work. And I was like, okay, this is crazy. This needs to stop. I cannot faint because of pain. Something is wrong, basically. So that day, I was actually kind of bending over a handrail in the cold air because that was helping me with my pain. I called my doctor and my gynecologist. And so I went to see her. And she was like, okay, yeah, you've got two big cysts and we need to remove them. But that's very likely what's causing the pain that you're having. But these cysts are also very common with endometriosis. And as I said before, I've heard about endometriosis before, but honestly, I didn't really give it much thought at this point in time. I was, okay, yeah, let's remove these cysts. I managed to get a surgery appointment in three weeks before our wedding and all went well with the surgery I woke up my doctor came and see me in the evening and she just sat there and she was like I've got good news and bad news and I was like okay that's not what I want to hear but okay break them to me and she was just like yeah good news is we removed the cysts everything looks good but we also found endometriosis. We had to remove more than 40 lesions within your body. We couldn't remove all of them because of high risk of complications. So I still have some lesions that were left in there. And she also said, you know, we checked your tubes and they were completely blocked. So you basically put some dye into the tubes and see if that comes out. And there was nothing coming out. So she was like, basically, you're infertile. You've got stage four endometriosis and you're infertile. I think that was quite a big slap in my face, even though I knew endometriosis. She had already said you could potentially have it. I think I just didn't expect it. And Actually, my husband wasn't there when the doctor came. My mom was with me. And so I was kind of just sitting there with her. And she was like, okay, it's fine. We'll manage. But I then had to break that to my husband as well, which was probably not an easy thing to communicate, particularly given the background that we had of me wanting kids. He wasn't sure. And now potentially I was going to be the problem. <laughs> And I think, you know, the other thing that because I've been very openly talking with my gynecologist as well, that in theory, I do want to have kids at some point. She was very much like, okay, given that you have endometriosis, if you want to have kids, the best thing is to start right away with IVF treatment because your body is 
cleared up now, let's say, mostly. So he's not fighting anything else in the system and can then basically focus on, on the IBF. And I think that was another thing that was just, I guess, not another slap in my face, but, you know, I had this plan of, okay, let's get married. Let's travel the world for another two years. So I was 28 when I got the diagnosis. I was like, I'm going to have kids maybe at the beginning of 30. And um, yeah, I was going to travel the world with my husband. And then we're going to start that family journey. But suddenly all of this changed within a window of a day. Oh my goodness. What a day and what a moment. So you already knew you had endometriosis, but you didn't know to what extent and that there were still lesions left. You found out, and this is another thing on top of that, that your tubes, your fallopian tubes were blocked. And they're told because of that, you're infertile. Having to share that with your husband three weeks before your wedding. What happened for you in that moment? I think, you know, it was, it was sadness, but it was probably mostly anger. It was anger at my own body. I'm like, I'm a woman. I'm supposed supposed to be doing this this is what women bodies are designed for they're designed to reproduce they're designed to make babies and my body can't do it and it was really I would say an anger to my own body and it took me some time to get over that I think the good things was I was still from the surgery. I had some side effects. So I think that kept me busy with other, with other thoughts as well. And then, you know, it wasn't easy, but at the same time, having that wedding and knowing that things needed to get organized probably was positive because it kept distracting me to a certain level. But as I said, plans just changed, right? And I think I've already in my life realized there's so much planning you can do. Probably things just turn out a little bit different anyway. And they probably actually turn out in most instances for good, but they do turn out maybe a bit differently than, than you had initially planned. I think really one of that biggest feeling was just that anger, that anger at my body. And it was something I really had to learn to appreciate that it, it's not my fault. Because I think in the beginning, I was like, okay, I've done something wrong but I haven't ultimately I didn't cause this right I didn't do anything intentionally to be infertile and have endometriosis but and I think that just took some time to be frank oh yes I hear you and anger is a very difficult and confronting emotion it's an emotion that I have also been confronted by on this journey in particular and it's very difficult to know how to deal with anger because it's framed as a negative hot anger a hot emotion yeah that again wrong or right has been portrayed in a very negative light and yet there's also such a thing as healthy anger which is something that I had to learn and I'm still learning because I still get angry I'm curious Katrin what's your relationship like with anger now as you said, I do think there is a healthy anger right and I'm actually now being a mom right my child is sometimes angry and I also I don't want to stop that anger and I think I really try and make him experience it and it's not just with anger I think it's with all the emotions right we need to experience them we need to 
let them go and flow because I think otherwise that really has impacts on your mental health and I think it's much more important to experience these different emotions and I think anger to your point is one of them and I like the notion of unhealthy anger I'm not the most emotional person but I'm trying and probably deal with a lot of it also internally, but I'm trying to deal with them and when I'm trying to let them out. But I think it's super important to feel these emotions. And as I said before, I think, you know, it's trying to be open about it. And I felt this was really for me another thing of just being open with family, with friends, but even at work, it helped so much because there's also a lot of stress involved in that journey, right? And by opening up about it, first of all, suddenly you realize that so many other people are going through it. I felt a lot of people had a lot of understanding for what I was going through. And as I said, particularly from a work perspective, it made it also a lot easier because I think if I had not shared things would have probably been stressful because you need to leave for another appointment. You have another appointment there, another test there. And if I can say one more thing here, but just because it comes to my mind, it's just going back a little bit about that topic on mental health. I'm a strong believer that your mind and body are connected. And I really think that particularly when you go through infertility, I can talk more around the IVF journey, right, which is different than some other infertility journeys where you try for a long, long, long time. But in that IVF journey, I think for me, what was super important was to try and keep positive, but finding that right level of being positive, but not too overexcited because I didn't want to be super excited to then potentially have, you know, a loss or other set, you know, something else happening. So I wanted to be positive but not too positive, but also didn't want to be negative because I think, you know, if you have that negative mindset, it does affect your body. And it's already super stressful to go through that journey in itself. And having that positive mentality, I do think just helps. I have so many questions, Katsi. I would love to take us back. You've received the diagnosis. You're three weeks before your wedding. You've been told you have to go through IVF. And I'm hearing that you would did that and in that process things that were helping you were being open and communicative about it including at work now remind me I want to ask you about this again later yeah. tell us a bit about what happened there going through your own IVF journey with your partner and yeah a bit about what happens there and what helped you because that is an incredibly emotionally mentally and physically stressful process you know, one thing that I always find so funny when I talk about this is, so as I said, we got the diagnosis and basically our gynecologist asked if we wanted to be referred to the fertility clinic. And I think we had an appointment in June. We were supposed to go on our honeymoon in July. And so we were talking about, well, we're going on a honeymoon and then we would like to start the IVF journey, basically. And then they were like, where are you going on honeymoon? And we're like, well, to Malaysia and Singapore. And they're like, oh, there's Zika 
we can't start right away. You need to wait another three months. So I had another one of these like slap in your faces. Okay. But they were like, well, you can cancel your honeymoon. I was like, I'm not going to cancel my honeymoon. I can wait another three months. So basically our whole IVF start got a bit delayed because of our honeymoon and because of Zika. Another thing that you didn't even think about, I guess. But we then started end of September, we started with the IVF treatment. I was actually on a fairly long hormonal schedule and I, from September to December, had to inject myself every day. And then in December, I had a small surgery to take out my eggs. And then we, well, my husband had to do his part on his side. And then they put the lovely things together in the Petri dish. Everything, you know, that normally should be very romantic becomes very clinically in process, right? And procedural. I think they managed to retrieve 12X. And however, there were only two embryos in the end. And um, to be honest, I think still to this day, this was one of the, on the one hand, most amazing, but also craziest time points of this journey. I was lying there on the chair and there was this screen. And on that screen, there were two little bubbles of cells, two little embryos. And they were like, which one would you like to have? And I was like, what do you mean? Which one would you like to have? And they're like, well, you can choose. And I like, I don't know which one to choose. Which one is better? And they're like, well, this one looks rounder. So we would recommend to go for this one. And I was like, okay, then I guess I'll take the left one. It was crazy. We made the decision to only transfer one because of, you know, well, risk of twins. And my gynecologist basically said she would recommend to only transfer one. And yeah, so we chose that one. <laughs> Can I ask, was your husband involved in that decision? Was he there with you when, when you no. had this question that you never expect to be asked? No, no, no. I was, it was by myself, you know, obviously also, to be frank, I don't know if he could have been there. It was already COVID. I think there was additional measures, right, of not being, you know, too many people. So, yeah, I was by myself with not even my gynecologist, a completely different person. I just had to choose which one of these two little bubbles of cells I would like to have. So it seems like we've made the right decision there because luckily I did fall pregnant I just recently looked through some photos and these photos of friends of us all going skiing. And that was the weekend actually when we were on the way to that skiing trip and we got a call from the hospital saying that the pregnancy test was positive. So it was a, yeah, a very fun weekend, emotional weekend. What um, was it like getting that news and what was it like for your husband as well? We sat in the car and I put the phone on speaker I think we were just looking at each other like oh my god that thing is becoming real then it was already like okay not gonna drink not gonna do anything <laughs> I wanted to be positive but at the same time I didn't want to share it yet it was so early 
I didn't want to share it with the whole, you know, we went on this holiday with our best friends. At the same time, I didn't feel ready yet to share those good news, even though they knew exactly what we were going through and they were all very supportive throughout it. Oh, I can only imagine. Gosh. So this was a successful pregnancy, the first round of IVF. Yes, we were super lucky. I mean, as I said, you know, I sometimes consider myself a very lucky person because everything worked out in the first instance. I know that so many other people have to go through multiple rounds of it, but we were lucky enough that everything worked out in the first instance. I did have some complications at the end and our son was born slightly ahead of time. But luckily, everything turned out all right. And we now have a two and a half year old. Lovely miracle. Yeah, a little miracle, baby. I'm so happy that that is what happened for you both, especially after how it started and um, the challenges that you had. And so I'm curious. I still have so many questions, Katrin. (laughs) I'm learning a lot from you. What has been the most challenging thing for you in this process? I think, you know, I already talked around this, like being positive and trying to find that right balance of trying to be positive, but not overly excited, but knowing that I shouldn't be negative. The other thing for me was also, I guess, I was at that age where a lot of people had kids, became pregnant. And I think just accepting my own diagnosis and not being as silly as it sounds but envious and jealous of other people and still being able to be happy for them I think that was something that that was also not that easy I guess the other thing which is again probably much more medical but it does link I think also to the emotional part is the hormonal treatment it just does stuff with your body it messes with you I felt like I was on an emotional roller coaster. I was just not myself under that treatment. And because of another condition, I also had to inject heparin, so a blood thinner. So I think over that whole period of IVF, pregnancy and post-pregnancy, I had to inject myself over 500 injections. My legs were completely sore. I had bruises all over my legs. And there were times where, you know, evenings when I had to give myself three or four injections and it was just painful. And you're like, I was, I remember one evening I was just sitting there in the bathroom injecting myself and it was just so much pain that evening. And my husband was like, okay, do you want me to do it? Can I help you? And I was like, oh no, (laughs) I'd rather not have you inject me. I'll do that myself. I'll get through that. But it's also, you know, you're kind of inflicting a lot of pain and side effects onto you and trying to deal with that on top of all the other things. It's just not always, not always easy, I have to say. I could hear that in that deep breath that you took at the start, remembering that roller coaster that you were on. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, Katrin, earlier that you have been, from the get-go, very communicative. And you mentioned that this is also the case at work. Can you tell me a bit more about 
how you went through that because I think that's a that's a challenging topic for a lot of women. Definitely. And you know, I think again, I mean, I already shared that I had endometriosis and maybe that also made it a bit different to other infertility journeys. Because of that surgery, I had to take time off, right? And I initially just said to my boss and to HR that I have a surgery, I need to take time off. And I was very career-driven at that point in time, I would say as well. But yeah, I think when I got the diagnosis, I was just, I felt in a safe space at work, luckily. And I had really good relationships with my bosses, also with our HR manager. I said, look, this was the diagnosis I was given. And I just shared it. Whether or not they wanted to hear it is another point, probably. But it was already one stepping stone. And, you know, I think I had a really good boss who was also then asking questions from his side of like, what does that mean? What does that mean for you and your future? And I think it really showed openness on his side to try and understand and giving me the opportunity to be open about it. And I think that helped so much because from talking about that endometriosis diagnosis to talking about, oh, that could mean I'm infertile. That could mean I have to go through IVF came through those conversations. It was not that I just stood there and said, I have endometriosis, I'll go through IVF. It was, I started on one point and then through the conversations we got there. When I started the IVF journey, I made them aware of it. You know, (laughs) there were times where I had to inject myself, right? Multiple times a day. And a lot of these (laughs) things had to be cooled. And so... My injections were in the company fridge. Wow. It was sometimes quite hard to hide these things, right? Sometimes we had off-site meetings. We were staying places overnight. So three months were just like, yeah, on trips, Catherine was traveling around with her blue bag with ice and, and medication. Yes, you can hide it, but it's not that easy to hide in some instances. As I said, where do you put your injections that need to be refrigerated? So I actually started some of these conversations also internally in the company about, hey, can we have a fridge for, you know, not just for medicine, but also for moms who want to breastfeed, right, to store their milk? Because we had that other situation where a colleague of mine would like putting their her breast milk into the company fridge or in the communal fridge. So it's, and, you know, it sparked a lot of discussions as well that were much broader than mine which I thought was really great I think luckily enough a lot of our appointments and the the really big ones fell throughout the Christmas and New Year's period so everybody was off but I think being open about it just helped because there's for that IBF journey there's so many appointments happening if you keep having to excuse yourself or, or need to take time off it's a lot and you know for me it kind of ended up with just be like you do what you have to do we'll support you if you want to take the day off take the day off otherwise we're sure you do your work and it just made it a lot easier for me to try and focus on both on my career and my work and the IVF journey. 
That's amazing. Thank you so much. I think what you just shared now will be so valuable for employees and employers to hear that, hey, this is how it could actually look. We worked our way through it and it wasn't easy, but hey, it's possible. From your personal experience now, if an employer in whatever branch asked you, what can we do better to support men and women going through an infertility journey or going through IVF, what should we keep in mind as employers? What would you say to them? I guess for me, it's, you know, on the one hand, being listened, being able to listen. I think we need to respect that not everybody wants to share their story, but I think being able to listen and being able to say, okay, we're here for you. We're trying, you know, we're not going to ask questions unless you want us to. Being able to have that flexible arrangement of, okay, you need to take time off today because you have an appointment or, hey, you need to take time off because actually you just got bad news because, you know, okay, things didn't work out on your journey. You take your time off, no questions asked. And having that flexibility, I think, is something that an employer can offer to their employees. And the other thing, as I said, you know, it is this much more providing that space to do these self-injections. You know, it's not always nice to do these things on a toilet. And, and having, you know, other people see your little medicine bag with, with the injections inside. So I think having that space as well, if there is an opportunity to just designate a little room where you can do these things is another, I think, very easy way to, mm. what, you know, a Sharpie bin. Because I was like, I was running around. I was like, where, where do I even put my needles? Good point. And these are really small things, right? And there's so many other conditions out there where people need to self-inject and, and need to have medication refrigerated. This is much broader than infertility or IVF. And I think there's so much we can do and that are really super easy to implement for any company, no matter how small or large, that, you know, we still can do a lot there. Yes, I agree. And that's why talking about it is important and also giving positive examples. So I'm hearing flexible arrangements are important. And even like space to do the injections. Imagine a mother who needs to pump breast milk, having a safe place for that, because that is also something that we do not want to be doing on the toilet. Exactly. So that's a really lovely point also for, for new mothers who want to be yep. working, but they have to pump. I know that that was difficult for a lot of women in my circle who were wanting to work, but also had to carry their breast pump around and looking for a place to do it. Yeah. And I like that you say this is something small that a company could consider and implement and make a big difference for their employees. Yeah. Thank you for summarizing that probably much more nicely than I have expressed. No, no, you did a wonderful job. I'm just crystallizing that because I feel like that's really valuable. So I'm excited for people to hear this through positive examples, what can be yeah. done and that doesn't have yeah. to change the world. It can be small things. I think another thing that I've, you know, recently seen somewhere, it's just, you know, it, it's not holidays. It's kind of just personal time so that you offer your employees the possibility to just take personal time. As I said, there's no questions mm -hmm. asked. They can be taken mm -hmm. in the morning or in the afternoon. You say, okay, actually I need to take the rest of the day off. Yeah. And as I said, there are no questions asked on why. Mm -hmm. 
but you just have that flexibility because sometimes there are just things that in that instance are just more important than work. I was very career driven, but now being a mom, I still love to work. I'm still driven, but a lot of things, you know, you set into a different perspective once you have children. You say something really valuable here because there are conversations happening about implementing mental health days. I've heard others using different wording, also wellness days or well-being days. But I actually really like your phrasing as I'm taking some personal time. So this afternoon, I'm going to take some personal time. And I like that there's trust. There's inherent trust that I trust you to know when is the right time to do that for yourself. And I don't need to, as an employer, ask why. I trust that you need it. I'm going to allow you that space. And I think, wow, what a gift to work in a place that sees this as necessary because we're people, right? We're not machines. Exactly. And as we know in leadership, you give trust, you get trust back, you know? Completely. I love that as an addition to the flexible arrangements, having space and also maybe taking personal time, let me say. I don't know the wording yet, but I actually really like that maybe as an alternative to other options out there right now. Really amazing. Wow, Katrin, I'm loving listening to you, learning from you, and I'm sure many will be feeling the same. I would love to ask maybe even a tricky question that you already shared with me you would be okay with answering because communication is important to you, right? Yeah. What's the worst thing anyone has said to you about either your endometriosis diagnosis or your infertility diagnosis intentionally or not I don't know if it's really the worst thing but something that probably always gets me and still gets me and where I think I just need to compose myself again is the question when are you going to have a second child it's such a you know easy question that there's no malicious in tend and let's be frank I probably have asked people around that exact same question in my past but since my diagnosis I've become much more aware of questions like that or even when are you gonna have kids it's just something where I always I need to take a breath I'm now always ready to share and say I don't know yet if we're gonna have a second child because my first child was conceived through IVF. I'm not sure I'm ready yet to go through this again. But it, and you know, it's so funny because you get very different reactions to that. Some are like kind of change topic instantly. Some are like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I think the worst thing that I then heard when I said that was somebody's like, oh, I think you were just too focused on your career. So you were not even considering having at your second child I'm like again we can just create that awareness of how we ask questions and this is much broader than infertility mm-hmm. because there's so many other you know diseases or diagnoses out there where very often you don't see them but you ask questions in a way that could actually hurt that in one way or another I've heard that question so many times and I feel like I should get better with it but every time I get it I'm like 
okay, now I'm ready to give my speech basically. Mm-hmm. But it's just something I think that we, yeah, we don't think about and we take fertility for granted. And I think coming back to, you know, at the start of our conversation, I took my fertility for granted, right? I always said I wanted to have kids. Mm-hmm. I had deep discussions with my husband about having kids, not having kids, not even thinking about there might be a possibility that we can't even have kids. And I think, you know, with that question, you take somebody else's fertility for granted. And Mm. yes, there is an evidence that it did work because I have a child, but still there are other things attached to it. And so this is just one of the questions I think that always triggers me. I think it comes from a place of lack of awareness. Exactly. Like you say, taking things for granted, fertility and being able to conceive and give birth is a miracle and I think we forget that and diminishing comments like oh you know other people have it worse I mean okay yes however that does not make my current pain any smaller and that is in fact not the way to help anyone else okay someone else who's having a harder time than me me not feeling my pain is not going to help them either let's change that narrative as I can be holding pain and they can too. And I have compassion for that. Exactly. I think that's something that through communication, we can create a bit more awareness around what is a compassionate comment yeah. from a place of empathy and what is, where do you need to learn? Where are our knowledge gaps? And I think I was the same you said before you started your journey. I also assumed that I would be able to have kids easy. You know, I came from a family with four kids. I probably said comments or made comments to women not realizing that that was hurtful to them. Yes. And I'm sorry for that. And going through this journey myself has made me much more aware of all of this. And so I hope that people are open to learning about being more compassionate in their communication. I completely agree. And I think, as I said, it spans so much more than infertility, right? I think it's having that compassion is going to be useful, I think, in so many other areas of life. And But it probably does need some rewiring of how we think, how we ask questions. And that's not always easy and it will take time. Mm-hmm. But as you said, hopefully by talking about it, we can increase that awareness. Yeah, absolutely. So cutscene coming to a close with this really rich conversation, so many lessons already. I'm wondering, what have you learned about yourself having gone through this journey and now reflecting on it again with me? I think, you know, we just mentioned that is not taking things for granted. The other thing for me is, I want to really say the power of having good mental health because I really do think it If you are in a good mental state, it does help with your overall physical health as well. And things probably suddenly are possible. And I know I definitely don't say, you know, always be happy because you have to go through ups and downs and and let these emotions happen as we discussed in the very beginning. But I think being able to feel these emotions is also a way how to get into good mental health. 
And then the other thing for me is, I think what I've learned is that I need to trust my body. I've also said, you know, there are things that I can't influence and I don't want to spend my energy on this. There are things in my body that I can't influence. I've got blocked tubes. There's not much I can do about it. I can try it and get the best doctors, the best treatments to try and help me through that. But I don't want to spend negative energy. I only want to control what I can control and anything mm. that I can't control, like I, I need to let go. And I think it really, it really helped me. There's a lot, really, there's a lot I have learned through that journey. And I think the other thing for me was I mentioned that I had some complications towards the end of my pregnancy and I was in a hospital for two weeks and it was COVID. So there wasn't a lot of visiting happening at this point in time. So it was a fairly lonely time to be brutally honest. But it also gave me time to reflect. I was at the end of my pregnancy and then I was talking to this lady who was sitting outside on the balcony and she was saying, she was asking me in what week I was and she was like, oh, that's the same week as I lost my last kid. And again, it just highlighted for me, you know, taking things for granted. You think, you know, you're past that what is it? I can't even remember. 26 mark. But no, things can still happen. I think in those two weeks, I've also, yeah, reflected a lot on that journey of what it means. Even though everything was so planned and so procedural, I think the one thing that I find quite funny now is it really hit me after. So I had a C-section and when they put James onto my chest, it kind of hit me that, oh, this is getting real now. This is Only real. now. <laughs> yeah. I'm now responsible for this little human being. Obviously mm. being responsible for him almost nine months prior to that, having him in my belly. I think what I thought was important became very different mm. through that journey. And then also after becoming a mom. I found that quite interesting as well in terms of how your perspective changes and, you know, coming back to what I said about, you know, the question of having a second child and me thinking I always wanted to, to have two kids, but I now have that responsibility for that one kid. I would need to go through that whole IVF journey again. I was very lucky to have a very successful first IVF journey. But I don't know if my second journey would look the same. I don't know what that second journey would do to me mentally, physically. And knowing that I have a responsibility to raise a child now, I'm just worried that maybe that has an impact on me being a good mother to my little one. So it kind of also, you know, again, put just things in perspective of what is really important to you. And I felt like a lot of this has changed over that journey of what, you know, a lot of things got suddenly completely mixed up. Previously, I said it was career. Now it was family. Previously, I said two kids. Now it's one kid, right? I found that quite an interesting transition, I think, in myself, I have to say. Wow. There's so much richness in there. 
some of the main things that I'm taking away from what you have been learning is not taking things for granted. Perspectives can change and that's okay. The power of reflection and continuing to reflect. And I can hear how that makes you very mindful also about your relationship with your boy. And I just hear there's such openness from you to, to go through that. And even in moments where that was lonely, you also were able to reflect for yourself. And that's a really powerful thing to be able to do through such confronting moments. I'm honoring that. And I'm really appreciative of all of your lessons that you're sharing so generously with us today. And my last question for you now, Katrin, is if there's a word to describe how you're feeling now, having shared your story with us, what would that be? Very simple. I think it just feels good. It feels good to talk about it. It feels good to be open. And if it even just helps one person, if that conversation helps one other person, then that's already good. And mm. it felt so good to talk about it with you, to share this journey. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ella. Thank you. It was really wonderful to have that conversation with you. I feel deeply honored to talk to you and that you've listened to me. <laughs>